Section 27 of The Natural History, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne Spiegel. The Natural History, Volume 4, by Pliny the Elder. Translated by John Bostock and Henry Thomas Riley. Section 27. Book 19. The Nature and Cultivation of Flax, and an Account of Various Garden Plants. Chapter 1. The Nature of Flax. Marvelous Facts Relative Thereto. We have now imparted a knowledge of the constellations and of the seasons, in a method unattended with difficulty for the most ignorant even, and free from every doubt. Indeed, to those who understand these matters aright, the face of the earth contributes in no less a degree to a due appreciation of the celestial phenomena than does the science of astronomy to our improvement in the arts of agriculture. Many writers have made it their next care to treat of horticulture, but, for my own part, it does not appear to me altogether advisable to pass on immediately to the subject, and, indeed, I am rather surprised to find that some among the learned, who have either sought the pleasures of knowledge in these pursuits, or have grounded their celebrity upon them, have omitted so many particulars in reference thereto. For no mention do we find in their writings of numerous vegetable productions, both wild as well as cultivated, many of which are found, in ordinary life, to be of higher value and of more extended use to man than the cereals even. To commence, then, with a production which is of a utility that is universally recognized, and is employed not only upon dry land but upon the seas as well, we will turn our attention to flax, a plant which is reproduced from seed but which can neither be classed among the cereals nor yet among the garden plants. What department is there to be found of active life in which flax is not employed? And in what production of the earth are there greater marvels revealed to us than in this? To think that here is a plant which brings Egypt in close proximity to Italy, so much so, in fact, that Galerius and Balbillus, both of them prefects of Egypt, made the passage to Alexandria from the Straits of Sicily, the one in six days, the other in five. It was only this very last summer that Valerius Moranius, a senator of praetorian rank, reached Alexandria from Puteoli in eight days, and that, too, with a very moderate breeze all the time. To think that here is a plant which brings Gades, situate near the pillars of hercules within six days of ostia near spain within three the province of gallia narbonesis within two and africa within one this last passage having been made by c flavius when legatus of vibus crispus the proconsul and that too with but little or no wind to favour his passage what audacity in man what criminal perverseness thus to sow a thing in the ground for the purpose of catching the winds and the tempests, it being not enough for him, forsooth, to be borne upon the waves alone. Nay, still more than this, sails that are even bigger than the very ships themselves will not suffice for him, and although it takes a whole tree to make a mast to carry the cross-yards, above those cross-yards sails upon sails must still be added, with others swelling at the prow and at the stern as well, so many devices, in fact, to challenge death. Only to think, in fine, that that which moves to and fro, as it were, the various countries of the earth, should spring from a seed so minute, 
and make its appearance in a stem so fine, so little elevated above the surface of the earth. And then, besides, it is not in all its native strength that it is employed for the purpose of a tissue. No, it must first be rent asunder, and then tawed and beaten, till it is reduced to the softness of wool. Indeed, it is only by such violence done to its nature, and prompted by the extreme audacity of a man, and blank, that it is rendered subservient to his purposes. The inventor of this art has already been mentioned by us on a more appropriate occasion, not satisfied that his fellow man should perish upon land, but anxious that they should meet their end with no sepulchral rites to await them, there are no execrations to be found that can equal his demerits. It was only in the preceding book that I was warning the agriculturalist, as he values the grain that is to form our daily sustenance, to be on his guard against the storm and the tempest. And yet, here we have man sowing with his own hand, man racking his invention how best to gather, an object the only aspirations of which upon the deep are the winds of heaven. And then, too, as if to let us understand all the better how highly favoured is this instrument of our punishment, there is no vegetable production that grows with greater felicity. And, to prove to us that it is in despite of nature herself that it exists, it has the property of scorching the ground where it is grown, and of deteriorating the quality of the very soil itself. CHAPTER Two, HOW FLAX IS SOWN, TWENTY-SEVEN PRINCIPAL VARIETIES OF IT Flax is mostly sown in sandy soils, and after a single ploughing only. There is no plant that grows more rapidly than this. Sown in spring, it is pulled up in summer, and is for that reason, as well, productive of considerable injury to the soil. There may be some, however, who would forgive Egypt for growing it, as it is by its aid that she imports the merchandise of Arabia and India. But why should the Gaelic provinces base any of their reputation upon this product? Is it not enough, forsooth, for them to be separated by mountains from the sea, and to have, upon the side on which they are bounded by the ocean, that void and empty space, as it is called? The Carderci, the Caliti, the Ruteni, the Biturigus, and the Morini, those remotest of all mankind, as it is supposed, the whole of the Gallic provinces, in fact, are in the habit of weaving sailcloth, and at the present day our enemies even, who dwell beyond the ruins, have learned to do the same. Indeed, there is no tissue that is more beautiful in the eyes of their females than linen. I am here reminded of the fact, that we find it stated by M. Varro, that it is a custom peculiar to the family of the Serrani, for the women never to wear garments of linen. In Germany it is in caves deep underground that the linen weavers ply their work, and the same is the case, too, in the Elaine territory, in Italy, between the rivers Podus and Ticinus, the linen of which holds the third rank among the kinds manufactured in Europe, that of Cetabus, claiming the first, and those of Ritovium and of Faventia, in the vicinity of Alia, on the Emilium Way, the second place in general estimation. The linens of Faventia are preferred for whiteness to those of Alia, which are always unbleached. Those of Ritovium are remarkable for their extreme fineness, combined with substance, and are quite equal in whiteness to the linens of Faventia. But they have none of that fine downy nap upon them, which is so highly esteemed by some persons, though equally disliked by others. 
a thread is made too from their flax of considerable strength smoother and more even almost than the spider's web when tested with the teeth it emits a sharp clear twang hence it is that it sells at double the price of the other kinds but it is the province of nearer spain that produces a linen of the greatest lustre an advantage which it owes to the waters of a stream which washes the city of Taraco there the fineness too of this linen is quite marvellous and here it is that the first manufactories of cambric were established from the same province too of spain the flax of zoella has of late years been introduced into italy and has been found extremely serviceable for the manufacture of hunting nets zoella is a city of calicia in the vicinity of the ocean the flax too of cume in campania has its own peculiar merits in the manufacture of nets for fishing and fowling it is employed also for making hunting nets for it is from flax in fact that we prepare various textures destined to be no less insidious to the brute creation than they are to ourselves it is with toils made from the flax of cume that wild boars are taken the meshes being proof against their bristles equally with the edge of the knife before now too we have seen some of these toils in a fineness so remarkable as to allow of being passed through a man's ring running ropes and all a single individual being able to carry an amount of nets sufficient to environ a whole forest a thing which we know to have been done not long ago by julius lupus who died prefect of egypt this however is nothing very surprising but it really is quite wonderful that each of the cords was composed of no less than one hundred and fifty threads those no doubt will be astonished at this who are not aware that there is preserved in the temple of minerva at lindus in the isle of rhodes the curacies of a former king of egypt amasis by name each thread employed in the texture of which is composed of three hundred and sixty-five other threads mucanius who was three times consul informs us that he saw this curiosity very recently though there was but little then remaining of it in consequence of the injury it had experienced at the hands of various persons who had tried to verify the fact italy too holds the flax of poligny in high esteem though it is only employed by fullers there is no kind known that is whiter than this or which bears a closer resemblance to wool that grown by the caderci is held in high estimation for making mattresses which as well as flock are an invention for which we are indebted to the gauls the ancient usage of italy is still kept in remembrance in the word stramentum the name given by us to beds stuffed with straw the flax of egypt though the least strong of all as a tissue is that from which the greatest profits are derived there are four varieties of it the tanitic the pelusiac the butic and the tentyritic so called from the various districts in which they are respectively grown the upper part of egypt in the vicinity of arabia produces a shrub known by some as gossipium but by most persons as xylon hence the name of xylena given to the tissues that are manufactured from it the shrub is small and bears a fruit similar in appearance to a nut with a beard and containing in the inside a silky substance the down of which is spun into threads there is no tissue known that is superior to those made from this thread either for whiteness softness or dressing 
the most esteemed vestments worn by the priests of egypt are made of it there is a fourth kind of tissue known by the name of Athaninum, which is made from a kind of marsh reed the panicule only being employed for the purpose in asia again there is a thread made from broom which is employed in the construction of fishing nets being found to be remarkably durable for the purpose of preparing it the shrub is steeped in water for ten days the ethiopians also and the people of india prepare a kind of thread from a fruit which resembles our apple and the arabians as already mentioned from gourds that grow upon trees chapter three the mode of preparing flax in our part of the world the ripeness of flax is usually ascertained by two signs the swelling of the seed and its assuming a yellowish tint it is then pulled up by the roots made up into small sheaves that will just fill the hand and hung to dry in the sun it is suspended with the roots upwards the first day and then for five following days the heads of the sheaves are placed reclining one against the other in such a way that the seed which drops out may fall into the middle linseed is employed for various medicinal purposes and it is used by the country people of italy beyond the pedis in a certain kind of food which is remarkable for its sweetness for this long time past however it has only been in general use for sacrifices offered to the divinities after the wheat harvest is over the stalks of flax are plunged into water that has been warmed in the sun and are then submitted to pressure with a weight for there is nothing known that is more light and buoyant than this when the outer coat is loosened it is a sign that the stalks have been sufficiently steeped after which they are again turned with the heads downward and left to dry as before in the sun when thoroughly dried they are beaten with a toe mallet on a stone the part that lies nearest to the outer coat is known by the name of stuppa it is a flax of inferior quality and is mostly employed for making the wicks of lamps this however requires to be combed out with iron hatchels until the whole of the outer skin is removed the inner part presents numerous varieties of flax esteemed respectively in proportion to their whiteness and their softness spinning flax is held to be an honorable employment for men even the husks or outer coats are employed for heating furnaces and ovens there is a certain amount of skill required in hatcheling flax and dressing it it is a fair proportion for fifty pounds on the sheaf to yield fifteen pounds of flax combed out when spun into thread it is rendered additionally supple by being soaked in water and then beaten out upon a stone and after it is woven into a tissue it is again beaten with heavy maces indeed the more roughly it is treated the better it is chapter four linen made of asbestos there has been invented also a kind of linen which is incombustible by flame it is generally known as live linen and i have seen before now napkins that were made of it thrown into a blazing fire in the room where the guests were at table and after the stains were burnt out come forth from the flames whiter and cleaner than they could possibly have been rendered by the aid of water it is from this material that the corpse cloths of monarchs are made to ensure the separation of the ashes from the body of those from the pile this substance grows in the deserts of india scorched by the burning rays of the sun here where no rain is ever known to fall and amid multitudes of deadly serpents it becomes habituated to resist the action of fire rarely to be found it presents considerable difficulties in weaving it into tissue 
in consequence of its shortness. Its color is naturally red, and it only becomes white through the agency of fire. By those who find it, it is sold at prices equal to those given for the finest pearls. By the Greeks it is called asbestian, a name which indicates its peculiar properties. Anasalius makes a statement to the effect that if a tree is surrounded with linen made of this substance, the noise of the blows given by the axe will be deadened thereby, and that the tree may be cut down without their being heard. For these qualities it is that this linen occupies the very highest rank among all kinds that are known. The next rank is accorded to the tissue known as byssus, an article which is held in very high estimation by females and is produced in the vicinity of Ellis in Achaea. I find it stated by some writers that a scruple of this was sold formerly at four denarii, the same rate, in fact, as gold. The downy nap of linen, and more particularly that taken from the sails of seagoing ships, is very extensively employed for medicinal purposes, and the ashes of it have the same virtues as spodium. Among the poppies, too, there is a variety which imparts a remarkable degree of whiteness to fabrics made of linen. CHAPTER V at what period linen was first dyed. Attempts, too, have been made to dye linen, and to make it assume the frivolous colors of our cloths. This was first done in the fleet of Alexander the Great, while sailing upon the river Indus, for, upon one occasion during a battle that was being fought, his generals and captains distinguished their vessels by the various tints of their sails, and astonished the people on the shores by giving their many colors to the breeze as it impelled them on. It was with sails of purple, too, that Cleopatra accompanied M. Antonius to the Battle of Actium, and it was by their aid that she took to flight, such being the distinguishing mark of the royal ship. CHAPTER Six, At what period colored awnings were first employed in the theatres? In more recent times linens alone have been employed for the purpose of affording shade in our theatres. Q. Catullus having been the first who applied them to this use, on the occasion of the dedication by him of the capital. At a later period, Lentulus Spinther, it is said, was the first to spread awnings of fine linen over the theatre, at the celebration of the games in honour of Apollo. After this, Caesar, when dictator, covered with a linen awning the whole of the Roman Forum, as well as the Sacred Way, from his own house as far as the ascent to the capital, a sight, it is said, more wonderful even than the show of gladiators which he then exhibited. At a still later period, and upon the occasion of no public games, Marcellus, son of Octavia, sister of Augustus, during his adiliship, and in the eighteenth consulship of his uncle, on the blank day before the calends of August, covered in the forum with awnings, his object being to consult the health of those assembled there for the purpose of litigation, a vast change, indeed, from the manners prevalent in the days of Cato the censor, who expressed a wish that the forum was paved with nothing else but sharp-pointed stones. Awnings have been lately extended, too, by the aid of ropes, over the amphitheatres of the Emperor Nero, dyed azure, like the heavens, and bespangled all over with stars. Those which are employed by us to cover the inner court of our houses are generally red, one reason for them employing them is to protect the moss that grows there from the rays of the sun. In other respects, white fabrics of linen have always held the ascendancy in public estimation. 
linen too was highly valued as early as the trojan war for why else should it not have figured as much in battles as it did in shipwrecks thus homer we find bears witness that there were but few among the warriors of those days who fought with cuirasses on made of linen while as for the rigging of the ships on which that writer speaks it is generally supposed by the more learned among the commentators that it was made of this material for the word sparta which he employs means nothing more than the produce of a seed chapter seven the nature of spartum for the fact is that spartum did not begin to be employed till many ages after the time of homer indeed not before the first war that the carthaginians waged in spain this too is a plant that grows spontaneously and is incapable of being reproduced by sowing it being a species of rush peculiar to a dry arid soil a morbid production confined to a single country only for in reality it is a curse to the soil as there is nothing whatever that can be sown or grown in its vicinity there is a kind of spartum grown in africa of a stunted nature and quite useless for all practical purposes it is found in one portion of the province of carthage in nearer spain though not in every part of that but wherever it is produced the mountains even are covered all over with it this material is employed by the country people there for making their beds with it they kindle their fires also and prepare their torches shoes also and garments for the shepherds are made of it as a food for animals it is highly injurious with the sole exception of the tender tops of the shoots when wanted for other uses it is pulled up by the roots with considerable labor the legs of the person so employed being protected by boots and their hands with gloves the plant being twisted round levers of bone or holm oak to get it up with a greater facility at the present day it is gathered in the winter even but this work is done with the least difficulty between the ides of may and those of june that being the period at which it is perfectly ripe chapter eight the mode of preparing spartum when taken up it is made into sheaves and laid in heaps for a couple of days while it retains its life and freshness on the third day the sheaves are opened out and spread in the sun to dry after which it is again made up into sheaves and placed under cover it is then put to soak in sea-water this being the best of all for the purpose though fresh water will do in case sea-water cannot be procured this done it is again dried in the sun and then moistened afresh if it is wanted for immediate use it is put in a tub and steeped in warm water after which it is placed in an upright position to dry this being universally admitted to be the most expeditious method of preparing it to make it ready for use it requires to be beaten out articles made of it are proof more particularly against the action of fresh or sea-water but on dry land ropes of hemp are generally preferred indeed we find that spartum receives nutriment even from being under water by way of compensation as it were for the thirst it has had to endure upon its native soil by nature it is peculiarly well adapted for repairing and however old the material may be it unites very well with new the person indeed who is desirous duly to appreciate this marvellous plant has only to consider the numerous uses to which in all parts of the world it is applied from it are made the rigging of ships various appliances of mechanism employed in building and numerous other articles which supply the wants of daily life to suffice for all these requirements we find it growing solely on a tract of ground which lies upon the sea-line of the province of new carthage 
somewhat less than thirty miles in breadth by one hundred in length. The expense precludes its being transported to any very considerable distance. Chapter 9. At what period Spartum was first employed? The Greeks used formerly to employ the rush for making ropes, so at least we are led to believe, from the name given by them to the plant, and at a later period they made them, it is very clear, from the leaves of the palm and the inner bark of the linden tree. It seems to me very probable, too, that it was from them that the Carthaginians borrowed the first hint for applying Spartum to a similar purpose. End of section 27